All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. My name is Steve Husky, lead pastor here at Faith Church. I want to say welcome to everybody here at our Florence location. Can we show some love and welcome everybody in Lawrenceburg? It's good to have you guys. Shows, it's good to have you guys in the house. And again, all of our guests, everybody watching online, thanks so much for being here. Well, we are in week three of this series we started several weeks ago entitled March Madness, where we're using basketball as a really powerful metaphor for the game of life and really leaning into the life of this guy by the name of Samson that we've been talking about and taking cues from his life and helping us to figure out how we can really live our life at the highest level. Before we get into the message, I just have to say, right, last week we had some good teams uh, still on the bracket. Brackets are not looking good. How many people are watching some March Madness games? Anybody? Well, if you're not watching it, let me just let you know, Alabama is out. <laughs> Tennessee is out. But good news, there's some winning trains you can still get on. Auburn is still in it. <laughs> Ohio State is still in it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate how people humor me with that. Well, listen, uh, it's, it's great. But again, if you're not a basketball fan, that's okay. Again, we're just really using this as an illustration. But Samson is a guy in the Old Testament, his story and who he was and what he did is told in the book of Judges. And what we find out, and many of you, if you know Samson, the only thing you might know about him is that he was the strongest man in the Bible. And what we found out really early is that his strength didn't come from his physique. It didn't come from his gym time. It wasn't that he was a part of Gold's gym. It was because he was a part of God's gym. That ultimately God's anointing and God's presence was on his life in a really profound way that helped him to do really profound things. But what we quickly find out is that right in the beginning, in fact, before he was born, the Bible tells us and his story tells us that he was drafted to God's team early, before he was ever born, which means the same way God had a plan and a purpose for Samson's life, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But right in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God gave Samson and really his parents a rule book. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about really what these rules were and why they mattered. If you've not been here, I would encourage you to go back online and listen to those. But even though God gave Samson a rule book, what we know is true for all of us is that God gives us a rule book. God gives us parameters. God gives us boundaries. God gives us things to say yes to and things to say no to. But what we found out last week is Samson continued to break the rules. And what happens when you break the rules? We said it last week this way, that there are consequences to a foul-filled life. Then in the same way, the game of basketball, you can foul out. You might love the game, play the game, practice the game. You might be built perfectly for the game of basketball. But if you're not careful and you don't play according to the rules, you can get ejected, you can get benched, and you can get put out of the game. And while the God we serve is incredibly gracious and incredibly good, the plan and the purpose that he has for your life and the plan and the purpose that he has for my life, it has to be done his way. If you want God's best, you have to do it God's way. And so today what I want to do is I want to lean into this conversation of because Samson was a guy who continued to live life out of bounds. And if we're honest, sometimes that's our story. How many people sometimes get out of bounds? Wave at me. I want to just have this conversation of how can we live life on God's terms? How can we play in bounds? How can we not end up like Samson, continue to get fouled out? What you find out is the problem Samson had is he was driven by desires. Samson, his problem was he lived by impulse, right? When you read his story, he never says no. Whatever he feels, he goes with. Whatever desire he has, he digs into. Right away, we see in his story, we've been going over this the last couple of weeks, Samson gets hungry, and how does he meet this desire of being hungry? Man, he reaches into the mouth of a dead lion. He immediately goes out of bounds to satisfy his desire. He doesn't think about the consequences. He doesn't consider what could go wrong. He just goes with his desire. 
We see later on, he doesn't just deal with this impulsiveness of being hungry, right? He deals with this impulsiveness of being angry. In the middle of this season, he gets angry and immediately reaches down and picks up the jawbone of a donkey and slays a thousand men. Over and over again, one of the things that really takes down Samson is lust. Woman after woman, affair after affair, relationship after relationship, Samson continues to deal with lust. And the challenge is, I think a lot of us in this room and a lot of us who are watching online, we tend to wrestle sometimes with impulses. All of us have impulses. All of us have desires. The problem is, if you never check up, if you never stop to consider, if you never think about where this decision will go, if I give in to this desire, you will end up just like Samson, playing out of bounds. And so I want to lean into one of the stories that's told, and I just would challenge you again real quick. If you don't read the Bible yet, or you're kind of not really faithful, it's something that comes and goes, this is a great opportunity for you to get on board with the, book, with the life of Samson in the book of Judges. It's four short chapters. I think if you'll lean into that story over the next couple of weeks as we finish up this series next week, I think you can glean some things that we don't have time to talk about. God can teach you some things that he's trying to teach me. So read it, jump into God's word. But today, we're gonna look at Judges chapter 14, verses one through three, and we get a sample. We get just a snapshot of how impulsive Samson is and why he gets into trouble. Check this out, Judges chapter 14. It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women, watch this, come on, say this, caught his eye. How many people has ever had something catch your eye? Cars, shoes, stuff, people, jobs, women, women, women. Don't, come on, men. <laughs> women, where's all my men at? <sighs> I don't preach to liars. How many? How many men have ever struggled looking at women? Raise your hand. We're, we, I got all day. How many men have struggled with a, women, with a woman catching your eye? Raise your hand. It's funny, like, none of the guys sitting next to the girls they ain't moving. They ain't even looking. Not me, babe. How many women? The guys ever caught your eye? Six-pack abs, good-looking guy. So this is Samson's story, right? He's just walking in a city. First of all, he shouldn't be. He's in one of the capital cities of Philistine. And a Philistine woman catches his eye. Impulse, I want to be with her. She looks good. How do I get with that? And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timna caught my eye. I want to marry her. He's not even had a conversation with her. <laughs> Love at first sight. Watch this. Get her for me. So this Philistine woman catches his eye. It's an impulse. He not only wants her, he wants to marry her. How many people know that not everything that looks good to you is good for you? I could, I could just say amen and go home now. I'm not going to because I got more stuff to carry. But I'm just like, that's a lesson in life. There are lots of things that we're attracted to, that we're drawn to, that we have impulses for that immediately catch our eye. They look good to us, but they're not good for us. If you don't check up in those moments, you will fall out of bounds. Goes on, he says this, it says, his father and mother objected. Isn't there a woman in our tribe or among the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. So just a couple things real quick before we really do a deep dive. One of the rules that Samson violated besides the specific playbook that God gave Samson was he told the nation of Israel, hey, hey, marry within the nation. 
And the purpose was, if you married outside of the nation, if you married women of neighboring nations or tribes, you probably would lean into following the gods they served and worshiping the gods they worshiped. And so God really gave this rule and this parameter to the nation of Israel. Hey, just marry people of similar faith. And I don't know if you get that, but that's still valid today. Who you run with, who you live with will determine who you are. So you want to make sure your closest friends and specifically the person you choose to spend the rest of your life with is someone who loves Jesus at least as much as you do. Marriage is hard enough without countering the battle of contrary faith. Find somebody who loves Jesus. And so that's the rule. Samson doesn't care. All he knows is this girl looks good. He wants to get with her. And so he goes to his parents. Here's the second thought. I don't know if you remember week one, I came down kind of hard on parents. I hope you give me grace. You came back, which is good. You know, I just think we live in a generation that unfortunately it's just so easy to sometimes not really produce in our kids what we want produced. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are, which means if we want our kids to love Jesus, we have to demonstrate a life of loving Jesus. If we want our kids in the house of God, we have to be in the house of God. If we want our kids to be generous, we have to be generous. If we want our kids to love and respect people around us, we have to love and respect people around us. God gave Samson's parents the exact same rule book that he gave Samson as a way of saying, if you're going to set up your son for success, you have to follow the rule book too. But I don't know if you caught it, but When Samson wanted this woman that was out of bounds, he goes to his parents. And if you keep reading the story, his parents give in to his desire and go help him get this Philistine woman, which means not only did Samson's parents contribute to his rise, but they also contributed to his demise. And while we all want our kids to be successful, none of us want to contribute to their decline. We have to be careful. And I'm just telling you, sometimes the best thing you can tell your kids are no. Everybody try that. One, two, three. You just need to tell them no. Sometimes always giving them a yes and giving them what they want is the worst thing you could ever do for them. And instead of them doubling down and telling Samson no, they eventually contribute not to just his rise, but his demise, and they go and get this girl for him. And I want you to see in this story that, again, he sees this girl, he wants this girl, he demands to have this girl. It's all about this impulse. It's all about the desire. I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle it. I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle it. Lust, I want it. Entitlement, I deserve it. Pride, I can handle it. And all of us in this room and all of us watching this online, we wrestle with those same impulses. We want something, we see something, we demand to have it, we don't check up, we don't consider the consequences, and that inevitably leads somewhere, and we watch the life of Samson become completely unwound because he just goes with his desires. And so today what I want to do is I want to lean into how do we avoid those times where we go out of bounds? How do we check up on our impulses and our desires? Well, the book of James gives us some insight in this journey. I want us to read this in James chapter one. In James chapter one, I got a thing up here. Let me just give you this real quick. Just because it's your desire doesn't mean it's God's design. Just because you have a desire, just because you have an impulse doesn't mean it's what God wants for you. This is something that's so important that's missing in today's culture because our sexuality and our identity and our choices are just based on our desires. Well, I feel it. It must be true. And just because we have a desire doesn't mean it's God's design. Y'all got to help me. Let me give you a prime example. Um, I believe with all of my heart that sex is something that is reserved between one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. And so my wife and I, we started dating in October of 1988. We did not get married until June of 1995 or 93. She's not here. 
93. I got the month right. Come on, y'all. I know you never get the date wrong. So for five years, we were together five years. And I'm just telling you, we were able to honor the boundaries, what I believe God's word teaches, that sex is something that is reserved in the context between a man and a woman in marriage for life. And I just want you to know something. Even though that was God's design, that wasn't my desire. My desire was we had sex October 1988. When God takes a man, a young man, and pours 55-gallon drum of testosterone in his body, I want you to know it's a struggle, but you can't always go with your desire. It will derail you and put you outside of God's boundary. I want God's best, which means I got to go by God's design. You will have desires. And just because you feel something and want something and hope to have something doesn't mean God wants it for you or hopes you have it. If we will lean into him, it will keep us from going out of bounds and we can have God's design, which is God's best. Let me give you another example. Uh, how many people have ever seen this show on TV? I watched this for a while and I got off and I don't know how I got off. I'm glad I got off, but I kind of want to get back on. How many people have ever seen My Strange Addiction? It, if you've never seen it, don't watch it because it will hook you. It's, it's TV you probably shouldn't watch. It's a total waste of time, but it's crazy. So I was out of town last week, came home. My wife's sick. She's home. Pray for her. And uh, she was in the bedroom watching TV and I come in and she's watching My Strange Addiction. And this guy's strange addiction that they're highlighting on the particular show that we're watching is that this guy somehow in life has fallen in love with and gives into these impulses of eating, of all things, like Walmart bags, like the plastic grocery bags. And he just eats them. Meal prep. He goes to Walmart and takes the stuff out and eats the bags. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he just eats, he'll drive down the road and he'll see a bag and he just picks it up and he eats it. Now here's what's crazy besides the fact that he's bags, is he's been to doctors and they tell him, listen, you're clogging up your system. Plastics are getting into your system. You're poisoning yourself. Carcinogens are getting into your system. Dietitians are saying, you're not getting the nutrients you need. It's backing you up. He has to force feed himself any kind of food. So doctors and, and all these people in his life, the woman he's getting ready to get married to hates how he is. And even though all of these people are telling him it's bad for you, it's gonna kill you, it's not good for you, you know what his answer is? But I want it. And I'm just telling you, all of us in this room, there are things we want that we don't need to have, and we got to make sure that we say no to some things that are desires and follow God's design, or we're going to get out of bounds. And James tells us how to stay out of bounds. Watch this. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, and remember when you are being tempted. Let me tell you why this is really important. is because temptation is something we all go through. You've been tempted and I've been tempted. It's not a matter of if you're tempted or maybe you're gonna be tempted one day. Temptation is a part of the commonality that all of us share. Even though so many of us have different backgrounds and stories, one thing we all have in common is we all face temptation. And so James says, hey, let's just be really clear. Temptation is something we all face. It's something we all go through. So don't be shocked when it comes. Don't think you're not spiritual enough when it happens. Don't think you don't love Jesus enough if you get tempted. Temptation is something we all experience. Now, temptation, this is so important. Temptation, the problem isn't, isn't like sensing temptation. The problem is submitting to temptation. And when you submit to temptation, that's what sin is. When you feel a desire and you give in to the desire, you cross the line. That's sin. Here's the definition. Sin is decisions we make and actions we take that are contrary to God's word and God's will. Decisions we make and actions we take that are contrary to God's word and God's will. And so here's what James tells us. Watch this. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. 
Where does temptation come from? He tells us, verse 14. Come on, everybody read this. Temptation comes from our own Where does temptation come from? You. It's not God. You can't blame God. Well, this is just how God made me. God's like, nope, it's not me. We can blame Satan, whose name is a tempter. That's what he does. But he only leverages the temptations and the desires that we already have. Right? How many times have we been on an elevator? You get in the elevator and you push the button one time and you stand back and you allow the elevator to do its work and take you to the floor. There's always that one person that gets on the elevator and is like, Like if you push that button fast enough, it's going to get you there quicker. Let me just tell you, we all have desires. We all have a hot button. Your hot button is not mine and mine is not yours. Some of you wrestle with lust and some of you wrestle with covetousness and some of you wrestle with anger and some of you wrestle with spite and some of you wrestle with unforgiveness. We all have our battle with temptation. What the devil does is he just comes and likes to push the button. But at the end of the day, it's not him. It's not God. It's not the people you run with. Even though they influence you, it's still your desires. It's not the color of your skin. It's not where you were raised. It's not how much money you have in your bank. It's not the level of your education. It's not whether you're male or female. Every single one of us in this room, we have the commonality of wrestling with temptation. It's all there. And at the end of the day, it's our responsibility because it comes from our desires. And watch what happens with our desires when they go unchecked, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So here's the, here's the pattern. I want you to see this. In order for us to avoid the boundary, in order for us to keep from going out of bounds, we have to know how it works. Here's how temptation works. We feel it, we dwell on it, we do it, and we live it. We feel it. We have this desire. It just clicks up. Just like Samson, someone catches our eye. Something catches our eye. We just have this impulse. We just want to be there. We just want to connect with that person. And then we start to think about it. That impulse kind of goes into our mind, and we start to think, how can I get away with that? How can I do that and nobody find out? How can I, how can I empty my cash? How can, I, how can I get close to that girl, but I don't really like that girl? Like, I just, you know, I just want to have a conversation with her. And we just kind of, it just gets in our mind and start to meditate on how we can get close to the line. And you get close to the line long enough and you eventually will do it. And you do it long enough and you'll start to live it. And so those, that's, that, that's the playbook. Feel it, dwell on it, do it and live it. The good news is God gives us some checks along the way. If you want to stay in bounds in your relationship with God and in bounds, just in life, there's places through all of those that we can check up. Here they are. Number one, get a new passion for the game. Everybody say that. Get a new passion for the game. Now, I don't mean the game of basketball. I mean, get a new passion for life. When you come into a relationship with God, how many people know that God wants us to have new passions? That there's some old stuff we used to want and used to desire that can't go with us in our spiritual journey. And how many people have experienced God giving you brand new passions? Some of you never imagined you would be in church, but God gave you a passion to be in the house. You never imagined you desire to sing. Like when worship music came on, you weren't really into it, but now you're the crazy person lifting your hands. Some of you get ready to do a Jericho march every single Sunday. I see you. Why? Because you have brand new passions. And I'm just telling you, some of the passions and some of the impulses that we wrestle with and we feel, God says the way to navigate those things from taking you out of bounds is to get new passions. Now, there's a great verse that's found in the book of Psalms that says this. Read it with me. Come on, every voice. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I'm like, cha-ching, 
I got a king in heaven that can give me whatever I want, like Maseratis and Yeezys. Oh my. I mean, there it is. God, you're going to give me the desires of my heart. And some of you have been serving God long enough. How many of you figured out that God doesn't give you the desires of your heart? And I don't think the writer means to say that God will give you the desires of your heart. I think what God intends to say is God will give your heart desires. God won't give you the desires of your heart. God will give your heart desires, which means when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he starts to take out some old stuff and put in some new stuff. That now on Sunday morning, I don't want to sleep in. I want to be in the house of God. I don't want to stand there. I want to worship God. I don't want to hold on to what I have. I want to be generous. Why? Not because it's who I've ever been. It's because God has given me desires to live a brand new life. Come on, I hope you want some new passions in this journey. Here's the second one. If you're going to avoid the boundaries, you got to guard the ball. You gotta guard the ball. Again, this is not about the game of basketball. This is the game of life. But in the game of basketball, one of the things every coach will tell you is take care of the ball. Guard it, don't turn it over. Make sure you make clean passes, sharp shots. Take care of the ball. The ball in the game of life is our heart. And how do we guard our heart? In fact, it's the most important thing you will ever do in life. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, the most important thing we will ever do is to guard our heart. Guard our heart. Be careful what gets in because if you start to dwell on that thing that was a desire, you eventually will go that way. So as desires start checking in, you got to guard it. You got to be careful what you think on. How can I get with her? How can I do that? How can I cross that line and get away with it? Where can I go when no one will see me? What can I delete that I get away with it? I've seen friends of mine fall in ministry for years and years and years, and it always starts with the desire, but it goes to the place where they think they can go so far and get away with it. And God's word says this in the book of Romans, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. If you make room for it, it'll take room from you. If you make room, if you give up mental real estate, starting to dwell on things that you know are out of bounds, starting to consider ways of how you can skate close, if you make room for it, it'll take room for you. It eventually will take over and dominate a portion of your life. Here's one I love it. Run new plays. Everybody say run new plays. In the game of life, sometimes you got to run a new play because the last play you was running ain't working. And if you watch the game of basketball during key times, they will call, the coach will call a timeout. will bring the team to the sideline. He'll gather them together with a little whiteboard and he'll write down a play. At the end of the timeout, they go out and execute the play. Do you want to know the play the Bible gives us in the New Testament in order to avoid temptation, in order to overcome desires and impulses that sometimes pull us out of bounds? It's a one word, four letter. You ready? Flee. F-L-E-E. On the count of three, I want to sit at. One, two, three. So he calls them together. He says, okay, team, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run this play. We're going to flee. The Bible says five different times in the New Testament, flee idolatry, flee sexual immorality, flee youthful lust, flee evil. Like over, it says like, run! But I'd rather stand and fight. Well, some of you have been standing and fighting and falling, so how's that working for you? Instead, run! So he calls the team together. He says, okay, on the count of three, flee. I want us, everybody put your hand in. Ready? Come on, put it in. Come on, come on, come on. All campuses, on the count of three, one, two, three, flee! Let's try one more time. Count of three. One, two, three. Flee. This week, what are you going to do when you're sitting in front of the computer? What are you going to do when you're involved in the conversation? What are you going to do when you're going to get next to that guy, get next to that girl, get next to that person who knows out of bounds? Come on. One, two, three. Flee. That's it. If you will run that play, and I don't run it well. Sometimes I run and I trip. But the Bible says that your desires will entice you and pull you back. And if you don't fight to run the other direction, you will get pulled out of 
bounds. They're your desires. They're my desires. And we're responsible for them. And the last part, again, in this process that we feel it, we dwell on it, we do it, and then we live it, is I think we need to move toxicity off our team. In every single team, in every professional sport, you eventually will find that there's a toxic player on the team. Man, they're really talented, great players, but they create bad chemistry in the locker room. They got a bad attitude. They show up late. They don't practice. And at some point, no matter how talented they are, players will eventually get kicked off the team. Coaches will do what they need to do to get a toxic player off the team. And I think some of us, if we're honest, have allowed some stuff in our life and it's toxic. And like, we're probably healthy in some areas. The fact that you're here, it's, it's a sign that there's some things you're doing that's healthy in your, in your spiritual journey. But maybe you're watching this at home and you're just really honest. There's an area, maybe it's secret, maybe nobody knows, maybe everybody knows. And it's just become toxic to you. It's an addiction, it's a habit, it's a heartache. And the way you're gonna move past it, the way you're gonna walk inside the bounds that God has for you is you gotta get toxicity off the team. You gotta make a decision. I refuse to make room for that anymore. And the way we do that is through this powerful word called repentance, is where we look at an area of our life that we recognize is out of bounds and we just tell God, I recognize that I've been out of bounds. And you'll be shocked at the strength and peace that can come into your life when you confess out of bounds to God and he can pull you back. Genesis 4, 7, I think is a, is a great verse that should challenge all of us. It says, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Anybody here ever been controlled before? Have some temptations? They feel like they're in control? Me, I do. He says, but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, here's what's challenging is, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life that I feel out of control, not in control. There have been seasons in my life, decisions I was making that I felt like they were being made for me. And remember, the desires, whose responsibility are they? Which means if they're your responsibility, you can subdue it and control it. So if you're in a season of temptation and struggling, you're like, man, it's, I just can't control it. It's just who I am. It's just what I feel. It's just what I want. God says, no, you can, you can control it. If you know somebody or yourself, you're wrestling with a life addiction habit, a life controlling addiction. And you've been told your whole life, this is just who you are. And this is just what you're gonna have to wrestle with. Now, I'm not saying it's not gonna take some professional help. It very may, very may well. But what I'm telling you is God's word says, we can make a decision in our spiritual journey to recognize sin crouching at our door, temptation that wants to pull us out of bounds and we can subdue it and we can control it. You can subdue it and you can control it. And the answer to that is how? Because pastor, I've been trying and it's not been real successful. I've been, I've been in the struggle and I keep getting out of bounds. It's because in these things that I'm giving you, get new passions, run new plays, it all sounds like it's up to you. But there is a secret to the game in our spiritual journey, and it's called the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. What made Samson incredibly strong can make you incredibly strong. Samson fought external foes. You and I, we fight a lot of internal foes, but the same strength Samson had, you have, and it is the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you have given your life to Jesus, you don't have to be spiritual enough to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be in church enough to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to read the Bible enough to have the Holy Spirit. The moment you say, Jesus, come into my life, the Holy Spirit shows up and he is with you 24-7, 365 to fight your battles in and through you. So watch this. 
In Genesis chapter five, verse 16, here's, here's the promise. So again, there's some stuff you have to do, but then there's some stuff God's gonna do. Galatians chapter five, he says this, come on, everybody read it. So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So we all have desires and those desires are pulling us a direction. But he says, hey, you're not in this thing alone. The Holy Spirit is gonna guide you or pull you another direction. And what direction you go is your decision. But we all have a decision to make and we have a helper named the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. But we have to decide to lean in and to listen. Several, several years ago, my wife and I, we were on a trip and we pulled up to a gas station. Our gas tank was empty. It was the good old days when gas was $2 a gallon. <sighs> good old days, good old days. So I pulled into this gas station and you may not know, but you're not supposed to open your tank and put the, the deal in, lock it up and get in your car. You're not supposed to do, you know that, right? It says right on there, like warning, don't leave it unattended. Well, I did what you guys do. And I got out and got the nozzle out, stuck it in my car, and I got back in the car and Sean and I were talking. And the gas, I can hear the gas pumping and my gas tank was on E. And so all of a sudden I see this truck across the parking lot facing me and he's flashing me lights. And he's waving like a madman. And I'm thinking, I don't know who he's upset at or who he's beeping at. He starts, ah, ah. I mean, this guy's going crazy. So, I gave him the lights back. <laughs> and the more I did that, this guy's like, hey. He's in this big 18-wheeler. It's probably 50 yards across the parking lot. And I have no idea what this guy is honking at him, waving at him. Well, all of a sudden, I look out of my side view mirror, and I can see along the side of my car, and gas is going everywhere but inside of my tank. And I have spilled gallons of gasoline. I was like, Lord Jesus, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I leave this gas station. <laughs> and so I jumped out of the car and, you know, whatever. But here's my point is, here is this guy who's signaling me. He's doing everything he can. Wow. Why? Because he has my good in mind. He's trying to get my attention, but I'm just straight ignoring this guy. And I want you to know, all of us in this room, you have been me in life where the Holy Spirit has been beeping his horn and flashing his lights. And he's been trying to say, don't go there. Don't call there. Hang up. Walk away. Turn it off. Say no. And we just flash back like it's a joke. And I'm just telling you, if we will let the Holy Spirit guide your life, lean into his help, surrender to his guidance, it will move you in a whole new direction. I'm not saying you'll be sin free because we're going to struggle. But I'm telling you, you can live life more in bounds in a more God honoring way. If you will live with the help of the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a second. You needed a savior. So the Bible says God, the father sent the son. You couldn't save yourself. So the father sent the son. Did you know it was the son who sent the spirit? Jesus his last day on planet earth said, I got to get back to heaven because unless I go, I can't send the helper. So if we needed a savior, because we couldn't save ourselves, the father sent the son and we needed a helper because we can't live this life alone. So the son sent the Holy Spirit. You can do this. You can live a life that honors God. You can. 
You can live a life that pleases God. And not this like, oh, I don't really want to do it, but God, I guess you want. I'm telling you, like, you can live a life where God puts desires in you. And man, you start walking it out and you become a new person with a new heart and a new attitude and a new way to live. And all of a sudden you start becoming the person God created you to be. And you start impacting and changing the world God brought you into this world to be. You can be a Samson that succeeds instead of a Samson that struggles. But we got to push back against some of the desires. Now, again, we all have desires. I want to give you one more verse before we close. Judges chapter 15 is the only time in four chapters in what is a lifetime. It's only recorded that Samson prayed two times. We'll talk about the last time next week. I just want a heads up. God can restore anybody. As far as Samson fell, in the last moment, God used Samson in a profound way. No matter who you are, no matter, if you know somebody's struggling, you need to get them here next week. God can restore anybody. But in the only other time that Samson prayed a prayer, he had an impulse. He had a desire. We all have desires. Temptation is when a God-given desire is fulfilled in a way that doesn't honor God. And so Samson, he gets out of this battle and he's thirsty, man. He has just stroked this Philistine team. And he's thirsty, and instead of fulfilling a desire in his own way, he prays. Watch this. Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord. You've accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Now, now must I die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans. I got him thirsty. Do something about it. Every other time, he satisfied a desire in his own way. This time, he takes his desire and gives it to God. What would happen if you start taking your desires and giving them to God? God, I don't want to live alone. God, I need a significant other. God, I need a job. God, I need you to provide a resource. What would happen if you took your deepest desires and instead of fulfilling them your own way, you took them to God and said, God, you gave me the desire. You helped me fulfill it. Samson prayed a prayer and watch what happens. So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson was revived as he drank. And then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi to this day. When you fulfill a desire on your own, it usually leads to trouble. But when God fulfills a desire, it leads to a testimony. It's like he could go back generations. That's the place. I had a desire and I took it to God and God fulfilled it in a miraculous way. We all have desires and we all face temptations. And as long as you satisfy them your way, you'll continue to fall out of bounds. We'll say, God, I'm gonna fight a good fight. I'm gonna run some new plays. I'm gonna get some new passions. And Holy Spirit, I'm gonna lean on you for help. And we can live the life that God wants us to live. How many people want that? Come on. Father, all over this room, God, I want it, I need it. Father, we need it, all of us. So Lord, will you help us? We make a commitment today, God, to lean in and to listen and to surrender more and more to the voice and the direction of the Holy Spirit. God, and because the desires are our responsibility, Lord, help us to play our part, to fight the fight well. God, give us new passions. Help us run new plays. Help us to guard our heart. And Lord, help us to repent. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, if you're here just before we go, if you've never given your life to Jesus, it's not a religion. He's not inviting you even into a rule book. He's inviting you to a place where you can find hope and salvation. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God's son who came intentionally on a rescue mission to die in our place, to take our sin, our shame, and our guilt. And he took what we have so he could give us what he has. And that's righteousness and grace and mercy. 
And whoever you are and whatever you've done, whatever you've gone through, maybe you grew up in church and it seems like everything from the outside is in order. But we all need Jesus because we all need a Savior. If you want to give your life to Christ today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can follow my words. You can just say, God, save me. And he will hear you and he will answer you. But you can pray it this way. Say, Jesus, I believe that I've messed up. I've made mistakes and I have sinned. But I come to you. I believe you died in my place and you took my sin and my shame. I ask you to forgive me today. Come into my life. Save me and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen.